0: From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. On a cold February night in 1921, Jack Sturgis, Anchorage's first police chief, patrolled downtown Anchorage. He strolled past local businessman Oscar Anderson at 9 p.m., and they exchanged pleasantries. But what happened over the next few minutes constitutes one of the biggest mysteries in Anchorage history. At 9.30 p.m., night watchman John McNutt discovered Sturgis lying in an alley behind the Anchorage Store and the Liberty Cafe near 4th Avenue and E Street. Sturgis was bleeding from a single gunshot wound to the chest. The watchman summoned help, and several men carried Sturgis to the hospital. Sturgis kept mumbling about being cold and needing to be turned over. In the hospital, he complained about the bright lights. He reportedly called, Oh, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. But when asked who shot him, he did not reply. Sturgis died at 10.50 p.m. Who murdered Jack Sturgis? A hard look back into history reveals several possible suspects. Still, authorities never arrested anyone for his murder. And until now, no one has ever answered the question of who shot Jack Sturgis. Recent in-depth research by two Anchorage history buffs brings us as close as we will ever be to knowing what happened between 9 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. on February 20, 1921, in a back alley in the newly incorporated city of Anchorage, Alaska. Welcome to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Robin Bearfield, and I'm broadcasting to you from the heart of the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge on Kodiak Island in Alaska. On November 23, 1920, residents voted to incorporate the self-governing city of Anchorage. On December 22, 1920, the newly formed Anchorage City Council voted unanimously to appoint 60-year-old Jack Sturgis as the city's first police chief. Sturgis took office on January 1, 1921. He earned a salary of $200 a month, and he represented the entire Anchorage Police Department. The department owned no vehicles. Sturgis told the press that he noted little crime in Anchorage and even joked he was hot on the trail of the despised thief who steals milk from babies, groceries from the storeroom, and laundry from the hallways. Decades later, historians argued over whether Sturgis did not notice the rampant crime under his nose or chose to look the other way. Some claim Sturgis was addicted to playing pharaoh, a game like poker. It's also possible Sturgis did not want to undercut his investigations by tipping his hand to the press. The rosy picture Sturgis painted of Anchorage did not jive with what the city council knew to be the truth. Prohibition began in Alaska in 1920, and several seemingly legal businesses in Anchorage were fronts for bootlegging, drugs, prostitution, and gambling. The Anchorage City Council told Sturgis to do his job. After all, they hired Jack Sturgis because he had a reputation as a no-nonsense lawman. Jack Sturgis was born in Mansfield, Ohio. Jack's father, a physician, died in May 1860, a few months before Jack's birth. But Jack never lacked for a home or loving relatives. His folks both came from moderately wealthy families, and by most accounts, Jack enjoyed a happy, comfortable childhood with his extended family. A closer look at Jack's maternal relatives, though, reveals a vein of psychological depression that sometimes manifested itself as suicide. Anna, Arnold, Bentley McNulty, Jack's maternal grandmother, William McNulty, his maternal grandfather, and William B. McNulty, his mother's brother, all committed suicide. In 1887, Jack decided to go west. Perhaps he sought adventure, or maybe he wanted to get away from his family. No one knows why Jack left Ohio, but he decided to move to Wyoming, where he worked for Howard Clugston on his ranch. Clugston was Jack's boss and mentor. He was a father figure to Jack. In 1890, when Clugston moved to San Diego, Jack followed him. In 1892, Jack traveled to Walla Walla, Washington. He moved to Montana in 1895 and then to Everett, Washington in 1900. Jack worked at various jobs, from a milkman to a night watchman. But in Everett, when he was hired as an officer on the Everett Police Force, he finally found a job that suited him. Only a few months after Sturgis joined the Everett Police Force, he shot and killed a man. According to Sturgis, the man was prowling around a business late at night. Sturgis told the man to leave, and when he didn't, Sturgis shot him. Sturgis later said he was a human being, and I'm sorry, but I had to do it. He said he had to protect the property on his beat, and he didn't know if the man had committed robbery or not. He said it was no time for an honest man to be prowling around. Sturgis was cleared of any wrongdoing, and he continued to work as a police officer. Sturgis had a reputation as a hard lawman and earned the nickname Black Jack. In 1913, Sturgis left Everett and followed the line of prospectors to the Shushana-Placer Strike Gold Rush near Cordova. John McNutt, the night watchman who found Jack dying in the alley on that fateful night in 1921, was also in Shushana, and historians believe this is where the two men first met. Also in 1913, Jack married Anna Maloney. This was Jack's second marriage, and Anna was 21 years younger than Jack. In 1916, Jack and Anna moved to Anchorage, and Jack became a deputy U.S. marshal, often working the night shift. A few months after taking the job as a marshal, Jack shot a man named Carl Lind, whom Jack claimed was attempting a robbery. Lind survived, but Jack arrested him. Many in Anchorage, including Oscar Anderson, one of the city's wealthiest residents, protested Lynn's arrest, saying Lynn was an upstanding citizen and very peaceable. Anderson demanded Jack's removal from the marshal service, but Anderson did not get his way. Jack remained a deputy U.S. marshal and then became the police chief. Jack belonged to the Moose and Elk Lodges, but Anna was the most social of the pair, and she was an active member of the Women of the Moose Heart Legion. Anna was very popular with Anchorage socialites, and she seemed to thrive in the city. We know little about Anna and Jack's relationship, but the age difference may have strained the marriage. In retrospect, some recalled Sturgis's odd behavior on the day of his death. He spent several hours during the day writing letters, and when it was time for him to make his rounds, he left his billy club, handcuffs, money, and identification at home. He usually carried two guns, but investigators found only one gun at the scene of the shooting. His second gun was never recovered. When John McNutt found Sturgis clinging to life, In the Anchorage alleyway, he noted no evidence of a struggle and no sign of robbery. Curiously, people near the alley did not see anyone flee the scene, and the only footprints McNutt saw in the fresh snow belonged to himself and Sturgis. Nearby residents claimed they heard one shot around 9.15 p.m., but the gun had two empty cartridges. McNutt said he did not recognize Sturgis, who did not wear a uniform, so he left the dying man and went in search of the police chief. Like so many other details in this case, McNutt's failure to recognize Sturgis seemed suspicious and odd. McNutt knew Sturgis well, and Sturgis was shot in the chest, not the head, so McNutt should have recognized his face. In any case, McNutt's delay in transporting Sturgis to the hospital might have cost Sturgis his life. Since there were no clues to an assailant, the coroner's inquest briefly raised the possibility of suicide, but then dismissed the idea and ruled the death a murder. The Anchorage City Council quickly appointed a replacement for Jack Sturgis, and the new police chief and U.S. Marshals investigated Sturgis' death. The city council and the mayor offered a $1,950 reward for information leading to the apprehension of the individual who shot Sturgis. But no one claimed the reward. When investigators found no useful evidence, the case quickly went cold and has remained cold for the past century. Let me take a short break. My book, Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier, about true crime in Alaska, is now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online booksellers. And the audiobook of my novel, *Carlock Bones, narrated by Beth Chaplin, was just released. This is Carlick Bones. A hunting trip gone terribly wrong. Human bones in the woods and a float plane pilot found sitting in his plane with a bullet hole in his head. The wilderness of Kodiak Island holds many mysteries, and it is up to Trooper Sergeant Dan Patterson to unravel them. Since biologist Jane Marcus found the bones, she feels tied to them and is determined to learn who this individual was and when and how he died in the middle of the forest. The deeper she digs, the stranger the mystery becomes, until finally, Jane awakens too many ghosts and puts her life in danger. What happened on a fall hunting trip in 1976? And will the wilderness reveal its secrets? Who murdered the floatplane pilot? And will Jane live long enough to tell Patterson what she has learned? Listen to Carlick Bones and travel to Kodiak Island, where you can help solve a mystery spanning the decades. The audiobook of Carlic Bones is available at Audible.com and Amazon. Who killed Jack Sturgis? Let's take a look at some of the possible suspects. First, could the murderer have been a bootlegger? Up until Sturgis became the police chief, bootleggers operated in the city with little interference. But Sturgis had recently raided several stills. Bootleggers were furious with Sturgis, and some probably wanted to get rid of him. The 1964 Alaska earthquake destroyed several buildings on the north side of 4th Avenue. When police surveyed the damage, they found a basement packed with moonshine equipment near the spot where Sturgis suffered his fatal wound. Did Sturgis enter the building and struggle with a moonshiner? Perhaps the bootlegger took Sturgis's gun and stood inside the building while he shot Sturgis. This scenario would explain the lack of footprints in the snow. Secondly, there was John McNutt. McNutt is the obvious suspect. He found Sturgis, giving him a logical explanation for leaving his footprints in the snow. McNutt also made the dubious claim that he did not recognize the injured man as Sturgis. So, McNutt left Sturgis lying in the snow while he claims he went to find Police Chief Sturgis. Since McNutt knew Sturgis well, this story makes little sense. Why McNutt might want to kill Sturgis is not clear. But McNutt worked as a private night watchman while Sturgis held the Police Chief's position. Did McNutt ignore bootleggers working in the area, and was Sturgis about to arrest him? Or perhaps the murderer was Oscar Anderson. Anderson was one of the richest men in Anchorage at the time, and he was also the last known individual to see and talk to Sturgis before the shooting. Was Anderson still mad about Jack arresting his friend Carl Lind? Did Oscar Anderson murder Sturgis in revenge for what Sturgis did to his friend? Another possible suspect was Charles G. Bacon. Bacon and Sturgis had a contentious relationship, and Bacon held deep connections to organized labor in Anchorage. Sturgis arrested him for dealing whiskey, and the judge sentenced Bacon to six months in prison. When he got out of jail, Bacon accused Sturgis of stealing $160 in gold coins from him. Sturgis was acquitted of the robbery, but Bacon held a grudge. Two weeks after Sturgis died, Bacon abruptly left Anchorage and moved to Montana. Two years later, Bacon committed suicide. Did Bacon kill himself over the guilt he felt for murdering Sturgis? Or could it have been someone in love with Anna? Jack's wife Anna was a popular socialite in Anchorage, and she probably had many admirers in a population dominated by men. After Jack died, she remarried eight months later. Did a potential suitor murder Jack to get him out of the way? Finally, we have relatives and friends of the man Jack killed in Everett. This seems less likely, but it is a good reminder that Jack had a past and made a few enemies along the way. If Jack shot himself in the heart, the crime scene makes perfect sense. Jack's footprints were the only ones in the snow because Jack was alone when he shot himself. Witnesses did not see anyone flee the alley after the gunshot because the shooter lay dying in the alley. Today, most suicide victims who use a gun choose to shoot themselves in the temple or they stick the gun in their mouth and pull the trigger. One hundred years ago, though, a suicide victim often shot himself in the chest to make his heart stop. Did Jack, like many of his relatives, kill himself? Perhaps he'd hoped to make the scene look like a murder, so Anna would be able to collect his life insurance. A clause in the policy voided it if the holder committed suicide. Rick Goodfellow, who operates the Ghost Tours of Anchorage, has a bachelor's degree from Lewis and Clark College with a triple major in journalism, theater, and political science. Rick uses his Ghost Tour to share local history with Anchorage residents and visitors to the state. He always ends his tour at the spot where Jack Sturgis received his fatal wound. Two years ago, Laura Koenig, a musician and historian with a doctorate of musical arts from the University of Iowa, took Rick's tour. When they reached the spot where Jack was shot and Rick explained the case was still cold, Laura knew she had to solve the mystery of who murdered Jack Sturgis. Rick agreed to help, and the crime-fighting duo jumped into the archives for a deep dive into history. Laura traveled across the country to research Jack's movements, relatives, and friends. Like many detectives before her, Laura initially rejected the suicide theory and searched through Jack's past for someone who wanted him dead. The longer she studied Jack's family, though, the more the suicide theory began to assert itself in her mind. Jack's grandmother, grandfather, and uncle all had committed suicide. The grandfather died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the heart. Just as important, Howard Clugston, Jack's mentor and boss in Wyoming, also had killed himself. Jack's mother's family had a history of depression, a condition rarely treated 100 years ago. In the 1920s in the United States, people who killed themselves were considered insane. Laura Koenig followed Jack's trail to Laramie, Wyoming, where she uncovered a newspaper article that cemented the suicide theory in her mind. In September 1881, when Jack lived in Laramie, he tried to commit suicide by shooting himself in the heart. According to the article, Jack's friend intervened when he saw what Jack was trying to do. The friend hit Jack's hand, and Jack shot himself in the shoulder instead of in the heart. Jack admitted that he had attempted to kill himself, but said, I made a bad job of it. Jack said his life was of no use to anybody, not even himself. When the suicide hypothesis seemed more relevant than any murder plot, Laura felt disappointed. But when she opened her mind to the idea of suicide, the death of Jack Sturgis finally made sense. Authorities found no clues of anyone else at the murder scene because there was no one else other than Jack in the alley when he pointed the gun at his heart and pulled the trigger. Witnesses reported Jack repeatedly saying, Oh, Bobby, oh, Bobby, as they treated him and carried him to the hospital. We will never know for sure who Bobby was, but it's possible Jack was referring to his deceased uncle Robert Bentley. Jack lived with Bentley for several years when he was a child. If Jack committed suicide, though, why didn't the original investigators consider this obvious solution? The coroner initially believed that suicide was a likely possibility, but then he changed his mind. Laura believes law enforcement investigators knew Jack had committed suicide, but they covered it up and instead said someone had murdered Jack with Jack's gun. They chose to portray Jack as a fallen hero who had died protecting the residents of Anchorage. The lackluster investigation to find Jack's killer suggests the authorities knew they would never find the killer because there wasn't one. One other likely reason why the authorities and the city council declared Jack's death a murder was to protect Jack's wife. Anna was very popular in Anchorage, and perhaps the investigators and even the city council decided to hide Jack's suicide from her. Knowledge of Jack's suicide would not only cast a dark cloud of rumors and innuendo over Anna's head, but Anna was a faithful Catholic, making the idea of suicide particularly difficult to endure. A ruling of suicide would also nullify Jack's life insurance policy, and Anna badly needed the money. In the end, murder seemed a better option than suicide. And as long as the police never arrested anyone for Jack's murder, what could a little white lie hurt? The investigators and council members who made this decision had no idea that 100 years later, researchers would still be trying to answer the question, who murdered Jack Sturges? I previously mentioned Rick Goodfellow and his ghost tours of Anchorage, and I told you that he likes to end his tour at the spot where Jack lay dying 100 years ago. Why is Jack Sturgis part of a ghost tour? On February 20, 1921, at 9.30 p.m., John McNutt discovered Jack's crumpled form in an alley just steps away from the historic Anchorage Hotel. The Anchorage Hotel still operates, and many guests and employees claim that Anchorage's first police chief returns to the scene of his death every year, seeking justice for his unsolved murder. Of course, if the public now accepts the suicide theory, they will have to decide on a new reason for Jack's yearly visit. Perhaps now that Laura and Rick have solved the mystery of Jack's death, Jack's spirit will rest and he will have no reason to return to the hotel. Only time will tell. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining The Last Frontier Club. You can also search for this podcast on Patreon to learn more about The Last Frontier Club. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in The Last Frontier.